Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Real Life Work Podcast. I'm Kevin McManus. I'm your podcast host. If this is your first visit, welcome to the podcast. If you've come back for one or more times, thank you very much for coming back. I do know that the number of viewers or listeners is increasing with this podcast as we go from week to week, but I don't know as much about my audience as I'd like to know. So please stay in touch with me. LinkedIn is the best way to stay connected. You can also go to my greatsystems.com website. You can drop me an email, Kevin at greatsystems.com. And there's also many other great ways to message me through social media. But those are the best ways to reach me. Today, what we want to focus on in this Real Life Work podcast, it's both an old topic and a new topic. And with what's gone on the last two or three years, it is very much a hot topic. So we're going to talk about changing work culture. And to me, this is a special area. I started out as an industrial engineer and I learned more the technical side and the cost side and the process improvement data analysis side of work early on in my career. But then I just happened to go to work for an organization that treated employee engagement like something that we should do every day, that's something that's necessary, that's one of the most important things in the facility. And it showed me the impact that managing that way can have. So from that point forward, I've seen just as much value on the soft side or the engagement side, the people side of work, as I've seen on the process side. In fact, I believe you can't drive the process side to its optimum level of performance unless you truly engage the people side. So that's where we're coming from with all this. Now, I wrote a book on culture change. It was the first book I ever published back in 2006. And it's amazing, first of all, to think that it's been almost 17 years since I put that book out. What's been more interesting is the degree of change that has happened in the world during that time and at work to some degree. And it's, I went through each of the different recommendations that I made in that book many years ago, and I've looked at what's changed and what you know, still needs to change. And it's about a 50% thing. It's maybe we haven't gone after the high leverage stuff. It's very similar to picking up Dr. Deming's New Economics, which was written 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago now. And when you read the book, if you did not know when it was written, you would think it was being written about today's management practices in most organizations. So we're going to take a look at these ways to change your work culture. But when I went through this, I said, first of all, I know it has to be updated because it's been a long amount of time. Second of all, I know technology has to be brought in here somehow. Digitalization, digital transformation, all of that. Because smartphones, only 50% of people even had smartphones back in 2013, 10 years ago. And that was seven years after the book came out. And so Tableau wasn't in place yet. Power BI wasn't in place yet. The connectivity and speed that we have now did not exist back then in terms of cell towers and networks and all that fun type of thing. There wasn't that blend across apps to where almost everything's HTML in the background, which greatly facilitates information and data sharing. So a lot has changed in terms of how we can capture data and analyze data but we haven't changed how much how we use data, for example. So I'm going to run through these. I'm going to look at it in terms of how technology would have affected these 
recommendations that I made, the 10 ways to change a culture, how a technology would have affected that. But then we had our events of the last three years where in most organizations, 20% or more of the workforce retired. We had a new force come online. And then there's a whole lot of churn as people tried to find things that really fit their nature, that fit what they were after in life. And I think a lot of that churn is still going on, and that can be as much as 30 40% in some organizations. I was talking to an organization just a week or two ago that said, we hire, we hire one person for every 100 that we process. And I bring that up because your hiring process is your foundation for creating a work culture. And I've worked in enough organizations, some steady state, some high growth. And when I mean high growth, you know, 50% growth year over year, that type of thing, where you're doubling your workforce pretty rapidly, you can get into what some call a warm body syndrome very quickly if you don't have a standardized hiring process, an aligned hiring process, one where all leaders and process groups use the same approach. But it's also, what do we look for in our candidates? Where can we now have remote work or asynchronous work versus synchronous on-site work? And so if you don't have a workflow for your hiring process, you should. If you haven't treated it like a key work process, you should. You know, where are the flaws in each process step? Where could we make enhancements based on the key strategic needs of the company, our workforce capacity and capability challenges? Which steps in our hiring process need to be modified? Who do we need to involve in hiring that we haven't involved in the past? How do we need to involve them? And then how can we use technology as a filter, as a screen, as an aid without flushing out potentially superb candidates. So that's the first one to think about. But if you want to change your work culture, you have to change the systems that are shaping your current culture. And in in most cases, if you're trying to change your culture, that means you are losing people that you don't want to lose. You're losing more people than you want to lose. So you're having, having to hire people to replace them unless your company's totally dying. And then that's just a totally different issue in terms of where we start. But normally, look at your hiring process. Are we bringing in the types of people that we want to bring in? And if you look at the Baldridge recipients in healthcare, for example, the last five to 10 years, almost all of them have very robust, well-designed hiring processes that help ensure they bring on candidates and retain candidates and engage candidates as staff members that have mission, vision, and values that are in alignment with the organization. Which brings us to tip number two, and it's looking at the consistency of our leadership behavior practices across organizations. Now, we're starting to measure that more with peer reviews and bottom-up reviews. Uh, The Gallup Q12 questions look a lot at how leaders behave on the job. What do they promote? What do they encourage? What do they discourage? They can give you an indication of consistency, But very few organizations are actually getting a good read from their staff members on how effective leaders are in terms of practicing the mission, vision, and values of the organization. 
And so when people ask me, how do you change your work culture? I don't go into, well, I wrote this book where it has 10 different tips in them. And if you do the 10 tips, this is how you'll change your culture. And that's not what folks want. I mean, if you want the quick answer, you have to change the job descriptions for your leaders. You have to change how you measure performance to that job description. And then you have to change how you compensate to those metrics. That's the simple fix. It's truly not that complicated. Some don't want to go that far. But for example, if you believe leadership behavior consistency is important, and it is from an engagement perspective, because you can prescribe all leaders to hold team meetings every week, every day, every hour, whatever you want to prescribe. But they can actually do more damage than good by the way they conduct those meetings, by the way they engage people during those meetings. They could actually hurt the culture that you're trying to create more than promote the culture that you're trying to create. And so you have to have more kick or consequence to your leadership behavior expectations, to your rules of engagement for leadership than we've had in the past. And technology makes it easier to spot check, to see how leaders are doing, to give leaders more immediate feedback in terms of how their people feel they're performing on the job. That's one thing technology allows us to do. So for example, in healthcare, the Press-Ganey patient survey process can give staff almost immediate feedback on how well the patient experience was for patients on the prior day. They've got it to that level of real time as long as there's a easy method for the patient to give their feedback. But it's much better than having to wait for an annual survey to come out to know if I'm doing a good job or not. Of course, the best way to know is to go out there yourself and check, but you have to make sure you're checking for the right things. And that's one of our biggest challenges with leadership. It's what brings us to tip number three. This is one thing most organizations have done. Almost all organizations now have balanced scorecards. The question is, do leaders consistently support all key performance areas on the scorecard at the proper level of emphasis? Or do they still focus on production at the expense of quality or at the expense of morale? This is where work-life balance comes in. You know, you probably have people metrics on your balanced scorecard. It's often retention or turnover, absenteeism, tardiness, grievances, hours worked, overtime pay, percent overtime, but we may not have the best work-life balance metrics that we need to have. We may not have the best customer satisfaction or customer engagement metrics that we need to have. And almost always, they are high-level measures. They're not sensitive enough to truly show the value that is coming from the transactions that our customers experience on a daily basis. So we do have balanced scorecards for all processes. We do not measure at the process level on a daily basis like we should. And I'll get to that more here in just a little bit. So first of all, you want to check your metrics, and I'm quite happy to go into more detail on that. There's a podcast I have on this topic, a workshop I have on this topic, all types of things, a workbook. That's not the focus of this talk. Tip number four. It's a big one. All organizations struggle with this. It's how we communicate. The question is, how do we improve communications and organizations. We don't just hold more meetings. 
Just like the prior example where we prescribe that leaders always meet with their work teams every day, we could be more damaging than doing good with our approach if we don't effectively use those communication paths. And so it's one thing to define your customer listening posts, necessary. It's very necessary to define your engagement paths for your internal customers. But we also need mechanisms that measure the effectiveness of those approaches. And that's typically the survey approach that does that. But we come at it from different angles. There's pop-up surveys. There's annual surveys. There's pro, you know, work team surveys at the work team level. But we want to look at how effectively we communicate. The other thing we want to do is we want to take the redundancy out of our meeting structure. We want to look at which mediums are the most effective for communicating information. Is it a face-to-face -face meeting versus an asynchronous well-done video with PowerPoint content that's meaningful. But we have some work we can still do there. You know, what can we do face-to-face? -face? What can we do remote? What can we do real-time? What do we need to do real-time? What can we do asynchronously? The main change organizations can make here from a leverage perspective is stop sharing information in group settings. With today's technology, you can make assignments where you should look at this information before the meeting. Here's the key questions or decisions we need to make in the meeting. Based on this information, you can time and date stamp. When people look at it, you can even have them put in potential responses to key questions and key decisions prior to the meeting, which greatly aids the decision-making process once we get everyone together. Now, the Baldridge examiner process at the national level showed me how you can blend face-to-face, -face, conference call, both of those at real-time, synchronous, with asynchronous cloud-based work to greatly facilitate both the quality of a process and the engagement level and the accountability of the different team members that are part of that process improvement effort. So quite happy to go into more on that also, but we need better maps to show our leaders the types of engagement paths we want to pursue. We need better feedback on how well those engagement paths are working. And we need to use technology as much as we can to help facilitate the sharing of information and the analysis of information prior to getting together as groups to make key decisions and come up with even greater ideas from that content. Okay, number five is changing your compensation system. And boy, this is a hot topic in organizations. One of the main things we're looking at is just playing with the minimum wage. And even in the states, it's amazing to look at the differences across the states in terms of what an allowable minimum wage is. It is still a two to one factor if you look at the lowest states in the United States versus the highest states in terms of what minimum wage is. And it's very interesting because that is just one small element of the true compensation system. And with so many staff members, the benefits are equally important, if not more important. And as you have staff members with children, you have single parent 
household staff members, the benefits become even greater. The work environment attributes, you know, what do I experience at work? Do I get a calming environment? Do I get an environment that makes it even harder to be an effective parent once I leave the workplace? And so we need to recognize that compensation goes much more farther beyond just the wage. You know, people get upset about the wage when it isn't perceived to be fair, either fair to what others are getting in other organizations of a similar nature or fair to what others within the same organization are getting. Where we can make the greatest changes and the greatest improvements is being much more effective at understanding our staff, what their key engagement factors are, coming up with a good recipe of benefits that can help meet those needs, and then trying to hire at least some element of consistency so we don't have to have this giant recipe or this giant menu of of possible benefits. We do want to accommodate and include as many folks as we can with our benefits, but we also have to recognize there are resource limitations. Key thing, think about with compensation. Use technology to get better feedback on engagement factors, what elements of compensation are important to your staff, how those vary with your different demographics and work teams, and then how we can enhance, enrich our compensation program and go well beyond just wages. At the core of all of this is tip six, and it's a a next-gen approach to leader standard work. And it's what I've sold all along or tried to convince people of all along. I just didn't see it that way. I thought I was trying to get them to practice process improvement. I thought I was trying to get organizations to install quality work systems. But in essence, what we're doing is trying to get leaders to adopt new daily work habits. And to do that, we have to give them the ability to spend their time differently. We can't lock up the amount of time they're currently willing to give to work. And often it's well in excess of 40 or 50 hours. But we, too often we just leave it to chance. We say, here's the goals of the site or here's the goals of the work group. Let me know if you need anything. And we're not clear enough about saying, look, it's only practical for you to be on this many teams. Or we need to have you spend this percent of time with the folks that you supervise, with the folks that you're expected to coach and lead and develop. We need to actually ask that question. Do we expect our frontline leaders to be coaches? And if so, do they have that capacity? What does it take to develop that capability in our folks? But first, we have to create the maps. And those are maps in terms of how we should spend our time. How much time do we spend developing ourselves, developing others, helping improve processes? How much time do we spend on value stream support versus value stream execution versus actual longer-term proactive process improvement? The maps aren't hard to create. They're just different. And the good organizations do create these basic tools. So let me know if you're interested. Now, throughout these prior six tips, I've mentioned measuring internal customer satisfaction. You want to have that barometer that tells you how well your internal work systems work. And often it's that annual survey, it's pop-up surveys, it's informal surveys, or even just questions that leaders ask during rounds. And I believe all leaders should round with their team if they can. It's a healthcare term 
but it's something all leaders should do. It's a key engagement path in organizations. It should be written down. We expect leaders to spend at least this much time per week, per day, per month, please per day, with the people they supervise rounding. Now that may be a virtual round. That's realistic in this day and age. There are certain things that can be done virtually. Some people don't need daily contact of a face-to-face, real-time nature. Async works. But you want that informal barometer to go along with the formal surveys that are being taken because there's lots of things that can affect survey outcomes, both internal and external to the organization. But again, it all starts with what's our foundational measures of internal customer satisfaction, How can we use surveys to augment that? And then what other indicators do we look at? And that's where you want to start looking at those correlations between retention rates, training rates, and process errors. Just as one example. So how do we find time to do all this new stuff? Well, that's the main issue. You know, a lot of folks think, I can't do operational excellence right now. I don't have time. I can't do process improvement. I wish I could, but I just don't have time. You'll never escape reactive world if you don't eliminate the daily errors and failures. And you can't eliminate the daily errors and failures until you track them, until you're aware of them. If you haven't done failure mode effect analysis on each of your key work processes that make up each of your value streams, that's a great starting point. Get your folks together, map out the processes they spend their time on each day, go through each process step, say, what are the things that can cause you challenges for this step? What could we do to improve? But make sure they know we can't fix everything. We're going to prioritize. We're going to prioritize based on strategic intent of the organization, based on mission, vision, and values. We're going to take the team through that prioritization effort because that's how they learn about resource limits. But we're also going to ask, what's holding you back from being excellent? What are the non-value-added activities that we're wasting time on where we could better invest that time on improvement? Remember, most frontline folks have 10% or less time built in their job for any kind of improvement. And often that's taken up with learning time. Very little formal time is defined for process improvement, very few leaders have time to focus on the path ahead because they're trying to keep the fires behind them from catching up to them. That's real life. So we have to get rid of our recurring problems. We have to track our errors and failures daily at the transaction level, at the process level. We have to prioritize those using the new tech that we've got to make classification and Pareto analysis type looks easier. We have to use effective root cause analysis to find the systemic causes of our errors and failures. We have to find our paths to failure, not just singular issues that led to a problem. And most importantly, we have to write effective, corrective, and preventive actions. And we have to write both of those. So I did 
a podcast on this a couple weeks back on being proactive with process improvement. Listen to that podcast. It'll give you a lot more detail on the things I just mentioned. Also, a common theme across these ways to improve your work culture tips that I've been covering is using technology as an improvement catalyst. And I want you to, I wrote an article for Industrial and Systems Engineer Magazine two or three months back. And it was called The Answers in Our Hands. And that article looked to that question of what does it take to get people to change? Because when we talk about culture change, that's what people usually comment on is, well, I'd love to change my work culture, but I can't figure out how to get people to change. Well, the answer's in our hands. As I mentioned just a little bit back, smartphones have not been in widespread use for more than 10 years. And actually, it's only seven or eight years. You know, we were at our 50% adoption level in 2013 the rate of adoption has been pretty significant, essentially exponential. We're up to about 75, 80% of the people have smartphones now. Now, people use them for different reasons. The primary reason they use them is to watch things and to network with folks. And we have to recognize that as organizations, whether we like it or not. And we have to be proactive with our use of video and with our use of emerging tech to catch the interest of our folks, to repeat messages that we need to repeat. And most importantly, to get feedback from people that we need to get. We can also use technology to help hold people more accountable, but I like to look at it being an avid Apple Watch wearer for almost what, five or six, seven years now, if you give people the data on a regular basis in trend form and give them the ability to take different looks at that data, they will manage themselves. Dr. Deming was right years ago. Most people come to work wanting to do a good job. We don't want to have work systems in place that are actually obstacles to daily personal effectiveness at work. And that's a lot of what we've covered here. You know, when leaders focus on personal priorities at the expense of team or organizational priorities, that creates organizational stress. That affects performance. That leads to errors. That leads to customer dissatisfaction, both internal and external. And it erodes the true intent of where the organization is trying to go. And all that happens without us even recognizing it. And that could just come from leaders focusing on site issues or even personal achievement goals at work instead of what the organization truly needs to focus on. But similarly, failing to adopt emerging technologies that have gotten so cost-effective and even so prevalent, that can be also be a big thing that can hold back performance. But I think the worst thing that we can do remains the same as it was when I wrote that book 17 years ago. We need more consistent approaches to leadership that more effectively engage our people. And we need to provide ways for our people to more effectively engage with each other and with their customers, both internal and external. Because when you engage with your customers 
where you can actually get feedback from the folks that you make an effort to satisfy each day, that is the greatest thing that changes personal performance on the job. So 10 great ways to change your culture. You'll be able to find these on my Great Systems webpage within a day or so. This is the quickest way to get them here on the Real Life Work Podcast. If you made it all the way through this podcast, I want to thank you for taking the time to come this far with me today. We've about reached the 30-minute mark, and I'll tell you what, I no longer sell my high-performance work culture book, but I do have a few left. And so if you are interested in one or more of my high-performance work culture books that talk about a whole lot of what I just mentioned here in this presentation, Message me through LinkedIn. Send me an email at Kevin at GreatSystems.com and we can work out a way to get you some books. Okay? Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please recommend, share, all that cool stuff. I'm trying to drive up my traffic. But if you can think of anything you'd like to have me comment on, please share it. If you know of someone that you would like to hear have interviewed, that is realistic for me to get, or if you'd like to be interviewed to share a best practice that you have, message me. Who knows what could happen? This is Kevin McManus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Real Life Work Podcast. And again, please, if you have questions, message me, Kevin at GreatSystems.com. Have a great day, and most of all, keep improving.